0: Well, good morning, it's good to see you here and uh, good to see some new faces and some returning faces from college and all of that good stuff. And uh, it's a blessing to be gathered with you here today as we've been worshiping. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 will be our passage uh, for today. We're gonna to be looking at verses one through 11. Isaiah chapter 40. I want to say a word real quick as you're making your way there to Isaiah. Um, One of the privileges and blessings of serving here in Southern Maryland is to see uh, just a um, wide array of different people coming in and out of our area. It's a very transient area, and so we're always encouraged to see folks coming into our area and certainly into our church and uh, one of the frustrating things about serving in Southern Maryland is it's such a transient area and you see the same people that come, they also leave eventually. And uh, I know we have a couple of folks that are going to be departing here soon, uh, Michael Rask and Anna Rask, I think he just got up with the little one and headed out, but uh, Uh, I think they're going to be here another Sunday, so next Sunday morning if you're here or Sunday evening, uh, either or both services. I just want to encourage you to just uh, say a word of encouragement to the Rask family. They've been here as long as I've been here, which is a little over six years. And so uh, they're going to be moving to the panhandle of Florida, and so uh, we're going to miss them. They've been serving in a very uh, variety of different ways, whether in children's ministry or leading in home groups and teaching Uh, We're just blessed by them, been encouraged by them, and we're gonna miss them greatly. So just encourage the RASC as you have opportunity to see them in the coming days and uh, continue to pray for them as they move to Florida. And then Charlotte Oren is going to be going to Orlando, Florida. Uh, for, but she's coming back, we think. Uh, She's going to be gone about 10 months and uh, hopefully coming back to us, but uh, she'll be uh, heading out soon. So just encourage her as you have opportunity as well. Uh, Orlando, Florida Panhandle. I don't know there's a pattern here. And so uh, people are moving south for the winter, I guess. But uh, anyway, just to be able to encourage these folks, we're blessed uh, by them. Charlotte serves in our worship ministry and other areas as well. And so we're encouraged, uh, just encourage her as well. Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, Let's look at this together. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Uh, Let me just read this, and then we'll pray. Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Those who are with young. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that you would give us understanding of it. In Jesus' name, amen. All of us can find things that disappoint us. Even you, glass half full people, find things that disappoint you. Maybe you've been disappointed in yourself lately. Maybe you've been discouraged by or disappointed by a good friend. Maybe disappointed in a particular relationship or in your spouse or children. Maybe disappointed with where you are in your career or disappointed with your employer. Maybe you've been disappointed by the church. And dare we even say it, maybe you have grown disappointed By God. Disappointment comes in a variety of circumstances for various reasons and in varying levels of intensity. But the bottom line is this we live in a world filled with disappointment because we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that's broken and affected by the reality of sin. The issue we often face in this broken world is that disappointments will come and oftentimes they come so frequently that we might find ourselves losing all sense of hope. But one of the graces of God that we find in his word is that God often speaks words of comfort, Words of hope, words of assurance into the midst of our disappointments and discouragements and failures. This is exactly what we have here in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40 represents a turning point in the book. Now, it's a large book of the Old Testament, I think 66 chapters. It's a large book. And most scholars divide the book into at least two sections, some three, but at least two, in chapters 1 through 39 and then there's a transition here in chapter 40 through the rest of the book. Had we had time to spend in all of Isaiah, we would notice that in the first 39 chapters that Isaiah had been called as a prophet to preach God's, to God's people confronting them in their wickedness and warning them of pending judgment and discipline that's coming from God. In fact, he would often find the people of God putting their hopes in surrounding nations and he would call them to repent of that. And then he would also call out and confront the surrounding nations for their deception. He called them in confrontation. He had a lot to say to them. And all of this culminates in chapter 39, verses five through seven. You just look there, just a few verses previous to chapter 40, verse five. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, "'Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. "'Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house "'and all that your fathers have stored up till this day "'shall be carried to Babylon. "'Nothing shall be left,' says the Lord, "'and some of your own sons who will come from you, you, "'whom you will father shall be taken away, "'and they shall be eunuchs in the palace.'" of the king of Babylon. Not only did Isaiah warn them, he told them of this time that would come when they would be taken captive as exiles into Babylon. But that's not all that we have to Isaiah's prophetic ministry. Had we ended in chapter 39, it would be quite a dark scene, wouldn't it? But what we have now in chapter 40 is Isaiah's ministry takes a turn. He moves now from confrontation to consolation. He moves from pointing out the people's sin and warning them of coming judgment and discipline to now speaking words of comfort and hope to them. Isaiah now seems to, he looks to the future when Israel now in captivity, so he's looking hundreds of years or at least a hundred years or so ahead he's he's now seeing a time when Israel's in captivity and then he addresses them with hope and comfort. God does not want to leave his people in the midst of their greatest despair, self-inflicted as it was, without providing them a word of comfort and hope. Friend, that's one of the things that we take away from Isaiah chapter 40 is that even in our greatest moments of despair, even in our greatest moments of disappointment and discouragement, God speaks words of comfort and hope into the lives of his people. And we can rest assured that God is faithful to bring that comfort. In fact, we're going to see four aspects of this comfort that he looks at here in Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to walk try to walk quickly through this this morning, but we're going to see four things about this comfort. We're going to see the context of comfort. We're going to notice the message of comfort, the assurance of comfort, and the spreading of this comfort as we walk through these 11 verses together. Let's first begin with the context of comfort. We've already kind of seen it. Verses 1 and 2, we see he says, or he's being told, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. This is God's word to Isaiah, at least Isaiah, maybe others, but at least to Isaiah, is being told to go comfort the people. Repeated here twice for emphasis. It means to be relieved or to be eased. It has this idea, when we hear the word comfort, it has this idea of breathing again. Breathing again. Isaiah is looking well now into the future here, and he, he speaks into a time when Israel would be at their lowest, taken captives, Jerusalem leveled, they've been defeated, their homes have been destroyed, the temple's destroyed, and now they're living in a foreign land under foreign captivity, surrounded by foreign worship, pagan worship. try to get our understanding of this. You know, a lot of times college and professional athletic teams, they'll typically have a time after a game. They've played a game. They'll, they'll typically have a time where they go into, uh, they'll, they'll have film day. It's usually right after the game, maybe the day after. And they'll, they'll kind of watch the film of the game or the match, whatever's going on. And they will review that and they will see things that that's happened so that they can learn and improve from it. They'll go uh, spend that time watching films so that they can grow from that. Well, Isaiah 40 is kind of like having that game film in advance before the game was even played, before that even unfolded. They're kind of able to see through this prophetic ministry of Isaiah how things are going to unfold and how things are going to happen. The fact that Israel will be taken captive into Babylon, the fact that they will be Uh, under, under domination there. And what he's doing now is he's speaking words of comfort and hope when that day would come. Whatever may lie ahead for God's people, they should take comfort in the fact that God's ultimate plan for them is not their destruction, but rather their redemption. This is encouraging. Indeed, he goes on in verse two and tells them what they would enjoy. Notice that. Speak tenderly. Notice the, the care here. If you're reading through Isaiah, there's a lot of difficult things the prophet says to the people. A lot of confrontation, a lot of, a lot of rebuke. Now, comfort. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. What's, what, what's, the, what's the message here? In this case, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double or better, ample for all her sins. This is amazing. Knowing, full, listen, this is what's going on here. Knowing full well that his people would forsake him, God nevertheless promises to redeem them in advance. This is amazing. God knows. They're not going to repent. God knows Jerusalem's going to be attacked. He's going to send people to attack it. He's going to send people to level the city, to level the temple, that the worship of God in God's city, in God's land will be no more. And Israel will will get what they deserved because of their idolatry and rebellion. And yet God here promises them that there's coming a day when he's going to redeem them when he's going to bring them back, when he's going to rescue them. God is promising that their suffering will not last, that their sin will be pardoned. There will come a time when they will have suffered enough from God's perspective, and the reason that they will be pardoned is because God himself will act as we will soon see in the following verses. But before we move on, we need to consider the context here of God's message of comfort. It's the context of failure. God is speaking words of comfort and words of hope to a people that have utterly failed. Friends, this is a great, sometimes people say that, well, you read the Old Testament, God's just mean in the Old Testament. Well, number one, you, you've misunderstood the nature and character of God if you think God is mean. But friends, when you read Isaiah chapter 40, you, you can't get a better picture of the compassion and the grace and the mercy of God who is promising to rescue an obstinate well-deserving in what they're getting people and bring them back and give them what they do not deserve. This is pure grace here on display. This is covenant love at its finest. He's speaking words of comfort and assurance and hope into the context of failure. Friends, God's greatest intention towards his people is not condemnation, it is comfort. You and I need to take that away today. When we, when we hear these words, speaking to Israel here, but there's application certainly that extends far beyond the context of exile, as we will see. One of the things you need to, if you check out, you like fall asleep the rest of the sermon, know this, God's desire for you as his people is not condemnation, it is comforts. It is hope, it is joy, peace. That is what he desires for you. Friends, we might find ourselves in extraordinarily difficult circumstances, even facing the consequences of our own failures. And yet God has a word of comfort and hope for us. Because even when we're being disciplined by God, One of the things that we're told here is that the discipline that God gives to to his people has limits. God's discipline has limits. God's compassion is seen in the fact that it has limits. One of Isaiah's contemporaries, uh, the prophet Micah. Micah, minor prophet, later on in the Old Testament, preached and served alongside of Isaiah in the same period of time to the same people. Similar message. The very... Last three verses of the prophet Micah says this. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? Listen to this. This is speaking about God. He does not retain his anger forever. Why? Because he delights in his steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. God is a God of compassion and grace. And you and I can even take comfort in this fact today because God has pardoned our iniquity and satisfied his anger against us. As a Christian, you can know, you can know the same kinds of things that were being spoken to Israel here. Her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all her, her sins. All of these are true for us today, and they have been provided for us today because of what God has done through ultimately the sending of his son. God does not come to us in condemnation, but He comes to us in comfort. He comforts us, even in the most desperate of our cries. Friend, maybe you're here today and you're longing for this kind of comfort. You're longing to breathe again. Maybe you're longing to, to have this renewed peace and sense of hope and assurance. We look no further than Isaiah chapter 40, to be reminded of the faithfulness of God who brings comfort to His people, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of despair, in the midst of failure. Maybe you're here today and, and you're looking for comfort but, and, and you've never had this kind of comfort. One of the things you're going to see as we work our way through the rest of this passage is that the only place that you can find this comfort is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's move now to the message of comfort. We see the context. The context is not when the people are doing well. The context is not in the midst of where people are, are doing gloriously and they're, they're living righteously. They're, they're doing As good as you can be. No, this is in context of failure. But what is the message? The message of comfort. Look at verses three through five. A voice. So Isaiah hears voices. A couple of them here in this passage. Not in a crazy way. But there's a voice that cries in verse three. The question that that comes out of verses one and two is, how can God declare his people pardoned? How can that be? I mean, is he saying that they have somehow earned this pardon based upon time served in exile? 70 years of imprisonment, that's good enough, and so they've kind of saved themselves by earning this pardon? Not at all. They're pardoned only because God acts to pardon them and God acts to redeem them, but how does he do that? What we're gonna see here is is that unfold. Notice this voice in verse 3. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I want you to notice three things in these verses here about about this message of comfort. Notice the the first thing that we see is the certainty of rescue. There's a certain rescue that's being promised here. Notice he says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the, the, the highway of God. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley should be lifted up. He goes on there. He's talking, he's speaking of making straight a highway in the desert, lifting up valleys, making low hills and mountains, leveling leveling the ground. Is he saying, okay, people in exile, you need to get your, 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 your track hose out. You need to get all of your heavy equipment out and start making a legitimate highway. Is he saying, no, he's using figurative language here. Simply figurative language showing that God must come to rescue and restore his people. And all of this language of leveling and all of this language of making straight is simply language that says that God's road will be freed of all obstacles and he will and he must come without fail. Nothing will stop him. Nothing will hinder him. This way for God to come and redeem and restore his people and then go back with them to The land is a promise of God's work to bring them back to himself and that mission will not fail. Now these verses are familiar to us because we've probably heard them first, not in Isaiah 40, but in the New Testament. In verse three, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is language that is referring Referring to, in the New Testament, John the Baptist's ministry. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, these, these verses are applied now to the ministry of John the Baptist, who would be a forerunner of Jesus, who would prepare the way of the Lord in a literal wilderness, crying out. He was the forerunner of the coming Messiah, calling people to repentance, that they might be prepared to receive the Lord's salvation. Now, this reference here in Isaiah certainly had meaning. It was one of the things you need to understand about prophecy in the Old Testament. It had immediate impact. It had a meaning for the immediate co- culture and context, but many times it was a foreshadow of an ultimate later fulfillment that would come. Exactly what we have here in Isaiah chapter 40. This reference here has meaning for God's people in the exile, but it's looking beyond them to find its ultimate fulfillment in the coming of Jesus. Jesus. While the people would certainly have been rescued from Babylonian captivity, and they would, it was a foreshadowing of an even greater rescue mission when in the fullness of time, God would send forth his son to the world to bring lasting hope and lasting salvation. In John chapter one, gospel of John chapter one, verse six, So we're told about John the Baptist, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God we were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then we see there in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Friends, one of the things that we celebrate at Christmas is the fulfillment of this prophecy here in Isaiah chapter 40. Friend, it's no longer That God will come. The truth that we celebrate today is the fact that God has come. He has come in the person of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was preparing the way of the Lord and the Messiah came. Friend, this is good news for you. If you're here today and you're, 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 you're longing for that comfort that you see referenced here and you've never known this comfort, you've never known this peace, you've never known what, it, what it's like to have this, this relationship with God, friend, here is the promise for us, that Jesus comes into the world as the one who would fulfill all prophecies. He is the one who came into the world, who lived a perfect life and yet died the sinner's death in our place so that those who would put their hope and trust in him, their sins would be forgiven and they would be reconciled to God forever. Truly rescued, truly reconciled forever. And if you don't know that hope, we would urge you today to place your hope in Jesus Christ that you would see Jesus for who he is, the fulfillment of these promises and truths came into the world so that we could receive him in faith. There's this message that we have of a certain rescue, a rescue that was promised, a rescue that happened temporally in the fact that they were released from Babylonian exile and brought back to the land. But friend, you read the Old Testament. The Old Testament does not end well. People of God go back to Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple, not nearly as good as the first one. And what happens? They go back into idolatry. They'd go back into their old ways. And then there's this 400-year period of darkness. But when the fullness of time had come, God did send forth his son. And it was this son who would bring true and lasting hope and comfort into the world. Friend, if you don't know that comfort, look to Jesus. Look to the one who can give you that comfort. And then a second aspect of this message is a revealed glory. Look at what the text says Verses three and four is just talking about how the preparation is being made and God is going to come. Nothing's going to hinder him. The people should prepare for that. And the glory, verse five, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. When God delivers his people, his incomparable beauty and worth would be on display. And in a sense, when God's people were, re, were redeemed and brought out of exile from Babylonian captivity, brought back to the land, the temple rebuilt, there was, in a sense, God's glory on display. But friend, there would be even even greater glory that would come. Well, it was the case that, in a certain way, Israel's return to Jerusalem would 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 see the glory of God. It wouldn't be until Jesus came, when Jesus was born, that this glory would be on display. In John 1:14, I stopped on purpose because the text continues. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen what? His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Ray Ortland Jr. Pastor and Theologian wrote, the glory of the Lord, therefore is God himself becoming visible. God bringing his presence down to us, God displaying his beauty before us, the true answer to our deepest longings. And you may be here today and you may have some deep longings that aren't satisfied. You may have some enormous discouragements, disappointments, maybe on the verge of even despairing. But hear this truth, hear this promise that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, promise looking forward. Friends, the glory of the Lord has been revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The glory of God on display for all the world to see and all the world to know. Which leads me to the third point of this message that has a universal impact. And you see it right there in the text, verse 5b. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed in what? All flesh. This is not a secret. It just happened in a corner of the world for no one to be impacted by it, or no one to see. All flesh shall see it together. Why? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It is guaranteed, and friends, it has happened. Israel's rescue and restoration would be the news story of that day. All the surrounding nations would see and know of their deliverance, but that would continue to be the case throughout history as God's people would be rescued, ultimately by the work of Jesus. So this revealed glory would be both delighted in and trembled at by a watching world. Friends, this coming glory, this, this rescue from exile that pointed ahead to the Rescue that Jesus would bring would be on display for the nations to see, for the benefit even of the nations. In fact, if you read in Isaiah chapter 49, a few chapters later, speaking about Israel and to the coming Messiah, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb, to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says, listen, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Notice what he says. I will make you as a light for the nations. God's plan was not just for Israel. God's plan was not just restricted to the two nations, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, being brought back to the land. That was too light a thing. God's vision and God's plan of redemption and restoration was international. It was for all peoples and all nations and all tribes. As yet, this is another reminder of our ongoing responsibility and obligation to the nations. You say, Pastor, why do we talk about missions a lot? It's because God talks about missions a lot. Why do we talk about the nations? We got work to do in here in our own community. Yes we do. Get to work. There's a lot of people that has no work. There's a lot of places in the world that has no work going on in it. No gospel. No church. As we have work to do. This universal impact is part of this message. There was this certain redeemer that would come. There was this revealed glory that would be on display impacting all nations. This was the message of comfort, which leads me right to the third point, the assurance of comfort, verse six. Isaiah's not crazy, but he hears another voice, okay? Verse six, a voice says, cry. And Isaiah said, why am I supposed to cry? What am I supposed to say? What am I this cry or call out? What am I supposed to communicate here? And we have this reference that's familiar to many of us. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. What was he to cry out? Simply that men are transient and unreliable, but the word of God stands forever. Here we see humanity is compared to grass and flowers. Here today, gone tomorrow. These verses are a contrast between the instability of man and the stability of God. Men come and go, but God's word endures forever. The rescue then must not be a self-achieved or self-earned rescue. Man is incapable of that. He's, he's just fleeting. He's here today, gone tomorrow, and such. And he's like the grass, like the flowers. When the wind blows, it's gone. So if salvation comes, and it would, it must come from God. It must come from the one who has spoken, because it is God's word that stands forever. Friends, what a great reminder for us even today. There's, there's plenty of human failure to go around. But listen, we don't despair because salvation is not achieved by us. Our our redemption and our rescue is not dependent upon how faithful we can be, but upon how faithful God is. We have a sure word and therefore we have a sure salvation because God brings it. And I would just ask you, where are you looking for hope? Let me ask you Christians that first. Because I know how you think I'm, I'm, I'm one of you. Right? We, we talk great and glorious and grand about our hope in Jesus and our hope, but sometimes we live as if our hope is here. We somehow we sometimes live as if the hope that we have is wrapped up in this, this pathetic, sin-cursed world. From where is your hope? Where are you placing all of your hope apples where where are you putting all of your hope is it here is it in your career is it in a relationship that you just idolize where are you looking for comforts are you looking to your 401k to, to kind of give you that even your health. Are you are you looking for comfort in all the wrong places? Isaiah's told to cry, to cry out that all flesh, there's no hope there. But there's great hope in God's word because it stands forever. And that is where we can place that hope. Which leads me to number four, the spreading of comfort. We've seen the context in our failures, the message, the fact that there is this one that God is going to come and he's going to redeem. And there's the assurance because he has spoken and salvation is upon his shoulders, not upon ours. But then there's this spreading of comfort in verses nine through 11. This word of comfort was intended to bring hope to the people of God, even as they lived in Babylon. This is a miraculous thing that's going on here in Isaiah. Isaiah is living in the 700s. It's a long time ago. But he's speaking, he's speaking words of comfort and hope to a period of time that was going to be in the mid-500s. Isaiah was gonna be dead then. He's gonna be long gone and most of the people that lived in his day would be gone with him. So he's speaking words of promise and hope to a people not yet born so that they could have this ongoing hope word of comfort was intended to bring hope in the midst of Israel's greatest despair as they lived as exiles in Babylon. Notice the change in these verses. Go back to verses one and two. There were those who were sent to proclaim to Jerusalem to bring good news of comfort. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. So there's at least Isaiah here and other other voices that were being exhorted to speak hope into Jerusalem. But notice what happens now in verse nine. Look who it is that's now speaking this word of comfort and hope. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. This is no longer just the prophet speaking here. This is now Jerusalem. This is now the people of God that have this responsibility to to go high up on a mountain, to go tell it on a mountain. This is just, again, language being used here to emphasize how this message needed to be told and heard, projected far and wide. God's people need not fear that God had cast her off into Into Babylonian captivity, as if now the promises he had made previously will somehow fail. He says, Fear not. Get up on that high mountain and preach the good news of God's rescue to the cities around you. Let this message have a ripple effect. Notice the content of the message here Behold your God. See God for who he is. God does not depend upon another to rescue his people, he comes himself. That is the great news of the gospel. God doesn't doesn't say, Well, who can I pick down there to to kind of bring my people out of trouble? No, he comes himself. Behold, your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward and recompense is with him and before him. God comes as a mighty warrior and accomplishes the redemption and rescue of his people by his strong arm. But friends, he's not only a mighty warrior, he is a gentle shepherd. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. It's what a hope Israel had and what a hope we have. This points well beyond the exile to the one who would come and fulfill this role of conquering king and compassionate shepherd. Saying this morning, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Brothers and sisters, he has appeared. He has come. He accomplished everything that was required to bring us out of captivity. We know that on a particular night in Bethlehem some 2,000 plus years ago, there were certain shepherds who encountered the good shepherd. And it was an angel that initially told them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for just Israel. Wrong. For all the people. For all the nations. This news and hope will make all the difference in the world, friends, when you find yourselves facing yet another disappointment. If you find yourself wallowing in the midst of disappointments because your eyes have not fixed, been fixed upon this hope, this is. Assurance. This is comfort. God desires to speak words of comfort and hope into the midst of his people. So whether it's a relationship gone bad or a doctor's report that you didn't anticipate or a career that's not advancing like you thought or children that aren't behaving like you hoped or whatever the case may be, this is the news that will sustain you. This is the news that will comfort you. This is the news that will get you on because God is faithful to love and redeem and rescue and sustain his people. And notice here that the spreading of the good news of salvation is something that God's people now are commissioned to do. As one writer said, spreading this glad expectation to others is the best way to amplify our own joy in it. Because this message of rescue is not just for Israel, not just for Judah. As we've seen, the full work of redemption now completing Christ is not just for you and me, so that we can just kind of take joy in the gospel for ourselves, but it's for all people. We should go forth and get high on a mountain, if you will. And as we do, we will increase our own joy in the good news by spreading that joy to others so that they too may enjoy the victory of the conquering king and the care of the gentle shepherd. You know, Isaiah's word here, all 66 chapters of it, Isaiah's word to God's people is amazing, but it's incomplete. It's amazing, but it's incomplete. God's people would be handed over many years later and they would suffer under captivity. But about 70 years after that, Babylonians would be taken over by the Persians and God's people would be released. Their warfare would be ended. Their iniquity would be pardoned. They would have paid ample for their sins and they would be released to go back into Jerusalem and rebuild. But friend, all of this, all of this is is pointing well beyond the nation of Israel and a particular plot of land. Isaiah would later tell us in chapter 53 that there would come one who would be like a lamb led to the slaughter who poured out his soul to death and bore the sins of many. And it was this same lamb that, Jesus, that, 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 that John the Baptist would later proclaim in his ministry in the wilderness as he preached, behold the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And friends, this lamb is Jesus Christ. And he came not to deliver just Israel, but all peoples from something far worse than a Babylonian captivity. Jesus came into the world to deliver people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language from the bondage of sin and death. He came to rescue men, women, boys, and girls from all nations so that they would be a people for his own possession and one day gathered to dwell with him forever, not in the ruins of a fallen Jerusalem, but in a new Jerusalem, in a new heavens, and new earth for all of eternity. And Isaiah even knew that because in Isaiah chapter 65, this is what he says, for behold, and the cry of distress. Friends, do you not long for that day? Do you not long for that day when when in this new Jerusalem, in this new heavens, in this new earth, in it shall be heard no more the sound of weeping or the cries of distress or the disappointments or the discouragement or the failures that we all experience in this fallen, broken world? Friends, that is comforting. That is our hope. And only Jesus can give you that. Look to him and have comfort. Let's pray.